so this afternoon's reading will be in Colossians 1. Primarily, I'm going to focus on, on verses 21 through 23. But for this morning, or this afternoon, we'll be reading um, verses, starting in verse 15. So Colossians 1, starting in vif- verse 15. We read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed... You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather here this afternoon, I pray that you will be glorified. We gather here to to sing your word, to read your word, to hear your word preached, and also, Lord, we have a blessing this, this afternoon to take of the elements of your word. Lord, I ask that you be merciful to me as I deliver this message, Lord. And I also ask that you will open up our minds and our, and our hearts so that we can respond to your word in, in a way that will honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may take a seat. So this passage this afternoon, it introduces us to a doctrine that is probably all too familiar to us. But my prayer this afternoon is to not let a familiar passage lose its value merely because we've heard it before. See, the Bible is active and has the power to change souls and breathe life into them. And so the doctrine that we are looking at today is, is, is a central theme, theme that's throughout the entire Bible. See, God, he redeems for, him, for a people for himself, and he transfers the guilt of our sin onto Jesus, who can perfectly pay the penalty that our sin deserves. And God, he's reconciling or restoring the relationship between his creation, which was marred because of Adam's sin. So looking at this doctrine this afternoon, I want to break this doctrine down into three parts, and then at the end, I'll give us three, or I'll summarize with three points um, that, that sort of naturally flow out of what this doctrine means. So I'm going to give you the three points now, and I'll, I'll reiterate them when, when we get to uh, the, the segment that will, that will start to break them out. But so the three parts that we are going to look at is one, the people receiving the reconciliation. So part one will be the people receiving the reconciliation. We're going to look at part two, the purpose of the reconciliation. The purpose of the reconciliation. And the last part, part three, would be the condition of the reconciliation. Part three would be the condition of the reconciliation. So let's start off in, in, in part one, point one, or part one here. Let's look at the people receiving the reconciliation. So Colossians 1, 
verse 21 through 22 reads, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind and deed, or I'm sorry, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above repro- reproach before him. So to start to understand what the Lord is communicating through Paul, we have to first ask ourselves the question. And the question is, who is being referred to when Paul writes you? Luckily for us, the answer is really easy. He immediately gives us the answer. He says, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now, linguistically, stating that something was once, meaning it is no longer. So, and Paul reminds the church at Colossae that they were once alienated from Christ. And the reason why I, I wanted us to read verses 15 through, through 21, and also thank you for Noah for reading that passage to us, is prior and before Paul wrote verse 22, the Christology that Paul portrays in verses 15 through 20 emphasizes Christ as the object from whom they were once alienated from. Now, this is no small matter here. We have God, he is creator, and he is Lord over everything that exists. That means that he is Lord over... Sorry, I lost, lost my notes here. So this means that Paul, he is, or the Lord, sorry, he is Lord over all their lives and even their deaths. And remember... Back to when, we, when I opened up this, this passage here and to start the, give us an introduction of the uh, book of Colossians, Colossae is predominantly Gentile. And from the Old Testament perspective, Gentiles, they are doomed for two reasons. And for the Gentiles, this is almost like double jeopardy, right? So you first, they're alienated because they are not physical descendants of Abraham. But then secondly, they're alienated because of their sinful rebellion against the creator of the universe. See, it is not their birthright that they were separated or that they were once alienated, but instead it is because of their sinful lifestyles. And Colossians tells us their minds and deeds that are separating them. Now this continuous alienation from God expresses itself in thoughts and deeds that we may describe as being hostile towards God. The scriptures remind us that because of Adam's sin, humans are naturally at odds with God. Now Paul, he doesn't really give us the reason for for their alienation here. That's because his focus is on the Colossians' status as that of being reconciled. Now a parallel passage in Ephesians can, can maybe aid us in understanding the reasoning for their alienation. So if you flip over a couple pages, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Ephesians 4, 18 through 19, read, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of and purity. The reason the people were alienated from the Lord is because of their hardness of heart, the, the callousness towards the Lord and his ways. But Paul, he's, he's highlighting the glorious status that the believers in Colossae have. 
Once they are alienated, but now they have received reconciliation. Once enemies of God, but now friends. And it's funny, and, and I don't know how we keep doing this, because there's no way we can plan this, but our, our confession that we read this morning talked about this transformation of the heart, transforming from a stony heart into a heart of flesh. And, and what this is, and, and also what Paul's describing here, this is a complete transformation of the heart. This is what we read in Ezekiel 36, where we have a hard, callous, and stone heart is, is replaced by something that is soft and pliable. See, it is the removal of the love of the things that God hates and a found adoration for the things that God loves. The people who have received the reconciliation are those that are brought into the family of believers. See, those that the Lord has adopted and softened their hearts to hear the gospel. See, it is the same people who once had a hatred for the Lord and despised him, but because of the miraculous transformative power that God has, he has changed their heart and hearts, changed their callous hearts, and are now a people who love God and will one day inherit the promise of a future hope that Paul wrote about in Colossians 1, verse 6. Or sorry, verse 5. See, this, this promise of hope and, and this promise to, to restore this, this status of alienation from them and their hostility towards God, are, this is not true of just believers in, in Colossae, but is true of believers now. You know, before the Lord changing our hearts, we all had a natural inclination of hostility and hatred towards the Lord. Scripture tells us that we are by nature children of wrath and that we live for the passions of our flesh, carrying out our wicked desires. See, church, our, our lives, we, we should be, the lives should be different from the world around us. Our lives should be different from, from the unbelievers around us. Our behaviors and, and how we think, how we act, what we say, what we do, there ought to be in our lives a direct contrast to what the world and society expects. See, once we were hostile in mind and needs, but now the Lord has reconciled us to himself. Our, our lives now are to be marked by the Lord's work in us. And this, this, is, this is really how you know whether you have the Holy Spirit. Do you love the things that God describes as being good and right? Or are you, as Romans chapter 1 describes to us, are we exchanging the truth for a lie and worshiping the creature over the creator? See, the joy of knowing that we have the Holy Spirit is knowing that we have been reconciled. But it's also important to understand the purpose of the reconciliation. That brings us to the second part of this doctrine. So the purpose of the reconciliation. So backtrack just a little bit, but in Colossians 1, verse 19 through 22, it reads, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So I've said this word reconciliation a few times, but let's take a moment to just quickly define what that means. What, what does 
What does reconciliation mean? What, what, are we, what is the purpose here? And reconciliation is a restoration between two parties. One, you have an offended party, and the second, you, you have a guilty party. And this idea of reconciliation, it rings throughout the Bible. And if we think about it, like I said earlier, it really is, this is the central theme of the Bible. God restoring his relationship with his people. See, it is God who is the offended party, and we are the guilty ones. Verse 16 in Colossians reads, All things have been created through him and for him. But those things require a reconciliation. When God created all things, there is a repeated creation order that we read about in Genesis. God speaking, something was created, God declaring it good, and then we have morning and evening. But that pattern on that sixth day, that pattern of creation order was broken. And it was broken when he created, when he created man. He specifically said after he created man, that, that man was created after his image and his likeness. And humans, because of that, we have the responsibility to display or to mirror characteristics of God. Which is why the Lord gave Adam dominion to rule and to reign. He didn't give other beasts or animals, or he didn't give the plants the, uh, the rule to have dominion and to reign. He gave that to Adam. And after God, after God creates Adam, he gives him also a command to not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. See, the consequences of obeying the Lord are life and blessing, while the consequences of disobeying God are the curse of death. Now this death is, is not just a physical death, but there is also a spiritual death. A, a separation from the Lord. A disfigured relationship between man and God in a relationship that, again, requires reconciliation. But Adam, because of his sin, he rebels against God, violates the covenant that the Lord establishes with him, and Adam and Eve's desire was towards the creation rather than the creator. Now, and when I was, I, I've read this passage in Genesis Hundreds of times, I, I, I know, if we've all started a Bible reading, we may have read this passage this morning, but, but t- turn with me to Genesis 3, chapter 3. And I, I want to look at something and, and, and focus on Adam and Eve, that, they're de- that they desired and they, they delighted in the creation, and not the creator. In verse 3, chapter 6, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. I'm going to read three through, uh, 6 through 9. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Among the, sorry, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of 
the garden. See, Adam and Eve, they desired autonomy, and, and, and they chose to ally with the serpent. And immediately you see the consequences of their actions. You see them being alienated from what the Lord blessed them with. They were naked and they shamed and they hid themselves from the Lord. They desired to, to hide themselves. They felt guilt from their alienation. See, and God, he brought consequences upon the human race because of the sin of Adam. See, when Adam disobeyed the Lord, he brought forth not just on himself, but the entire human race. He brought on pain and sorrow and evil. See, before Adam and Eve, before they ate of the fruit of the tree, they didn't feel the need to hide. The Bible tells us that they were naked and ashamed. They didn't have clothes prior to that point. They didn't feel the need to hide from the Lord. They were in a union with the Lord that wasn't marred by sinful desires of the flesh. It was their sinful rebellion to the Lord that separated humanity from him. And and though the terms terms of the covenant were were established, Adam broke those terms. God, he promised them a seed who will one day perfectly fulfill, or sorry, perfectly pay the price that is owed because of the broken covenant. And now, because of that, humanity has been divided into two groups. Again, we have a guilty party, and the one who has been offended. See, we, we have those who, who love the Lord and, and, and have, are reconciled with the Lord, and then we have those who desire to be self-ruled. And to be a part of the group that loves the Lord, you must have God change your heart and put His Spirit within you. It is the Lord who can satisfy the penalty that our sin deserves. And it is Christ who can present us, as Colossians tells us, holy and blameless before God. See, Christ, he has taken the guilt of our sins. So the guilt of our sins, it's been, it's been transferred to Christ on the cross. And Christ's righteousness has been transferred to us. The Lord, Christ, he bore the wrath of God for our sins, removed this alienation status, took away our hostility, and he gave us a new heart. Christ imputed his righteousness to us so that we can stand before God as being fully forgiven and fully righteous. And Luther, he describes this as as a sweet exchange. And he prays, he, he says, quote, You, Lord Jesus, are my righteousness, and I am your sin. You have taken on yourself what you are not, and have given to me what I am not. See, the Old Testament foreshadowed this idea of transferring guilt to another. Now, do you remember in Leviticus chapter 16, Aaron the priest, he takes two goats and, he, and, and taking two goats and presenting them as offerings. The first goat, he presents it as a sin offering and he sacrifices it on the temple. But the second goat, Aaron lays his hands on it, he confesses over it the, the people's sin, their iniquities and their transgressions, and then what does he do? He casts it out into the wilderness. The scapegoat, bore the sins of the people and was cast off and cut off from the people. And the moment we see Christ on the cross bearing our sins and our iniquities, we see Christ and our sins imputed to him as like the scapegoat. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it was for our sake 
that Christ took on the penalty of our sin. We have, to, we have to look at these passages of Scripture and, and recognize the pattern. This was all of Christ's doing. Right? We are guilty. Our verdict has been given because of Adam's imputed sin onto us. We are dead in our sins with nothing to contribute or offer to the Lord. See, it wasn't the guilty party that, that, brought, uh, that sought to bring forth reconciliation, but it was the one we offended. God, God who we offended, he took the initiative. And while we were still actively sinning against him, while we were still sinners, he sought to bring forth reconciliation so that we can have peace with God. And this is peace that is brought on by the blood of the cross. See, just like the Old Testament required a penalty of of blood to be poured out for sins, so do our sins require a a payment of bloodshed. But this is different. Not just any sacrifice would be sufficient. The penalty is far too great. We have sinned against an infinitely holy God and our payment would require nothing less than infinite perfection. We need a perfect lamb. Isaiah 53, we read about this perfect sacrifice. We read about a man who grew up Man who was perfect. And then this man, he, like the lamb Aaron sacrificed, had our sins and our transgressions placed upon him and had the full wrath of God poured out upon him. See, and, and the most glorious part of Isaiah 53 is when we get to verse 10 and we read, Yahweh was pleased to crush him. The Lord was pleased to crush him. This offering of Christ dying on the cross, so this offering that was, was offered, this was pleasing to the Lord. It satisfied the requirements that need to be met under the Levitical law. All the other sacrifices before this, point, before this point could not take away the guilt of sin. See, the laws requiring a, a sacrifice is, is only a shadow of the perfect lamb to come. The sacrifices symbolized payment but they were never able to fully pay the penalty of sin. Turn, turn with me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse, I'm, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. Hebrews 10, 4 through 7. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of the people. And the sacrifices and the burnt offerings were not pleasing to the Lord to provide the people with forgiveness and reconciliation with God. God, he he passed over their sins because of the promise he gave to them in Genesis 3. This is essentially like God saying, I know Pastor Travis says this a lot, but this is essentially God saying, giving them an, an IOU. When Christ Christ came into the world, he said that he has come to do the will of God. 
And remember, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Because of this pleasing sacrifice that Christ provided on the cross, we are now able to come to God with his righteousness placed upon us. See, the purpose of of reconciliation was to bring the guilty party into a righteous and holy standing before the Lord. So we have people receiving the reconciliation, and and, and we've seen seen the, the purpose of the reconciliation, but let's take a look at the condition of, this, the, of the reconciliation. Part three will be the condition of the reconciliation. So Colossians 1, verse 23, we read, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, if we read this passage, and if we all of a sudden decide that this work is dependent upon us, we miss everything that Paul has been writing. Paul's arguments are based not upon our efforts, but upon our dependence. This might help to think, if we we think of the Christian life as a journey, this this begins to make a little bit more more sense, right? It It is a continuous progress towards the goal. And Jesus, he is the one who started the work, and he will be the one to finish and complete his work. So Paul's argument here is, not, is, is, is one of logic. So if we decide that we are going to go back to being hostile in mind and deeds, inevitably, we will not make it to the end of our journey. There is a condition that needs to be satisfied to have the status of Christ's righteousness placed upon our lives. And and the promise of being reconciled is based upon the condition of being rooted and grounded in the gospel. Now Paul's use of, of, of language here and his use of words show that he does not fear that the Colossians are going to shift their thinking about the gospel. See, you know, if, if we remember in, in the church at Colossae, they're being challenged by false teaching around them. So what Paul is telling him, he's telling them to stand their ground, to build their foundation upon the promise of the future hope that he reminded them of earlier. Right. So this condition, this condition is placed upon the believer. It is a continuous walk in the gospel and standing firm in the truth of God. It is the love of the Lord and submission to him and the desire to do the things that are pleasing to him. John fifteen four, Christ tells us to abide in him. It says, abide in me. And, and that, means, that means to have a life that is characterized by devotion to the Lord. You know, we, I mentioned about men being made in the image of God and, and that our life should be a reflection of that. That, that. That's important here. Our lives should be a reflection of what he has done for us. It is the willingness to want to be different from the world. Throughout this passage, we we see this contrast between once alienated and now reconciled. When I was reading a a commentary on on this passage here, um, a guy by the name of Douglas Moo, he he writes this and and helps us to see these comparings and these contrastings with one another. Moo, he writes, quote, Those who are at one time alienated, in verse 21, or those who have now been given a share in the inheritance of God's holy ones, in verse 12. Those who are hostile in mind and evil deeds, in verse 21, 
are those who have been rescued from the power of darkness in verse 13. Those who call, those who, and whose calling is the knowledge of God in every good deed, 9 through 12. Those who are reconciled through the death of Christ in verse 22. Those who have been transferred, or those who have been transferred into his holy kingdom, in 13. Those whom he now presents as holy, blameless, and irreproachable are those in him who we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in verse 14. There are going to be times, if we haven't faced them yet already, when our faith in the Lord is going to be challenged. It may not necessarily be on on a large scale where it may cause us to lose our jobs, our friends, our families, or even our lives, but, but eventually... Our beliefs are going to be challenged by an outside influence. This is 2023 now. Turn on the news and, and what do you see? You, you see? you see the world's ideology being preached to you all the time. Let us not be naive in thinking that we don't need to reason and think through what we believe and why we believe it. See, the Lord, he has told, him, told us to love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So when Paul, he tells us that we should not be shifting from the gospel, he's using the, a metaphor to describe the building of a building. Christ, he uses a metaphor to, a metaphor similar when he says that it is the wise man who hears his word and does them. It's like he who builds his house on a rock. There's a firm foundation so what we think, how we act, what we do, and what we say, and what we believe, all of those things need to be rooted in the truth which can only be found in Christ Jesus. And see, in the authority that Paul appeals to is, is the gospel that has been preached to the Colossian church. Remember, he's talking to a group of believers, so he's appealing to the gospel that they've heard about. See, he says, the gospel that you heard is a reference back to the truth that, was, that has already been preached to them. And Paul, he emphasizes the authority when he claims that he has now become a minister to the gospel. See, if we remember, back on the road to Damascus, Paul was called by God to become a servant of the gospel. And now Paul is sharing that he owes his allegiance to the gospel. Now, remaining faithful, remaining faithful is not required for salvation, as if our salvation is dependent upon our work. But remaining faithful is an outward sign of a changed heart. An outward sign that f- of faith that, that the God, faith that God has given us is real. See, when we love something, or, or, where we, or when we have an allegiance to something, what we do to protect it, or what we do to guard it, it shows our dedication. And our dedication to the Lord will naturally flow out of our willingness to serve Him. Now, we, we've seen what, what the parts to this reconciliation entails. Now, I, I said I would share three points to sort of summarize the doctrine and bring it to bear in our lives. So point number one, point number one, remember who you once were. Remember who you once were. Like, like Paul, you also owe your allegiance to the Lord. Just like the, the, the Christians hearing this message of Paul's letter, we too were once hostile in our minds and our deeds. We too once desired to only sin continually. And apart from, from God, 
As, as Ezekiel describes it, apart from the Lord changing our hearts and removing this heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, we would be no different than what we see from the world around us. See, the entire process of our salvation is wholly dependent upon Jesus Christ being the perfect lamb for our sins. Edwards famously said it, as you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. See, it was Christ, the Christ, the offended party, who sought to bring reconciliation to the ones who beat and bruised him. So remember who you once were. Now, point number two, remember what the Lord has done. Remember what the Lord has done. Now, there is a sense here in which God, he speaks through his word to us, so that our appeal to sins is nothing less than God himself appealing to sinners to be reconciled to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-20 through 20 read, Through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of, the recon- message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It is the Lord who has sent his son to die and to pay the penalty for our sins. See, the old sacrificial system was not able to remove the guilt of our sins. The payment was so vast and so infinite that it can only be accomplished by an infinite amount of holiness and an infinite amount of perfection. And it is Christ who is infinitely holy and infinitely perfect that was able to satisfy the penalty that our sin deserves. See, Christ, he took his righteousness and transferred it to us. The Father, he took our guilt and transferred it to him. And it was our guilt laid upon his shoulders and our guilt that held him there to the cross. And it was our guilt that the wrath of God was poured out for him. It is the blood of the Lord that has been spilled that allows us to have our sins washed away and appear guiltless before the Father. So what do we do with that? Point three is continue in the faith. Remember the condition here. If we continue in the faith, if we continue in the faith, then the promise of the gospel is given to us. As Christians, we have the hope of heaven to look forward to. One day we get to spend eternity in the presence of the Almighty God. There's a distinction between once and now. No longer should we go back to our thoughts and the evil deeds that the Lord has redeemed us from. See, in the the promise of our hope, it includes our willingness to walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, if you're a Christian hearing this message, remember the Lord has changed your heart. He has enabled you to desire and yearn for His redeeming mercy. Don't forget that or take for granted what the Lord has done in your lives. Remember that your sins are so heinous that it is only the Lord's work that gives you the ability to one day stand before the Lord, stand before God, and have, and have Him see Christ's righteousness placed upon you. And, and if you're not a Christian here this morning, I urge you to come to the Lord today. Right? 
the life that you've been living, your life is naturally at enmity with the Lord. You can't do enough good deeds or, or donate enough money or, or, or obey enough laws that will satisfy the payment that one of your sins deserves. But Christ, he has done that completed work for you. See, come to Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus, and continue in the faith as an act of thankfulness to the Lord for what he has done for you and what he has saved you from. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the ability to come and worship you corporately amongst other believers, God. And as we continue to worship you, Lord, let us be thankful for all the ordinances of worship that you have given us. Now, thank you for sending your son to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross, Lord. Thank, Thank you for reconciling sinners to yourself and imputing your righteousness onto us so that one day we can spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray, just be magnified on this day. In your name we pray. Amen.